Welcome to our inaugural episode of Pandemic Parenting with Pep, a podcast designed to help parents thrive, not just survive, this extra stressful period of parenting through the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm your host, Robbie Fox, a certified parent educator with the Parent Encouragement Program, or PEP, as it's commonly known. PEP has been providing proven positive parenting education for nearly 40 years through in-person and online classes, and more recently has been offering free webinars and other resources to parents and caregivers struggling with life's current demands and stresses. You can access all of these resources through PEP's website at pepparent.org. Today, I am very excited to welcome our first interviewee on the Pandemic Parenting with PEP podcast, Emery Luce Baldwin, a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist, as well as a certified parent educator. Emery first came to PEP as a mother of a very strong-willed two-year-old and found just the support she needed. She became a certified parent educator with PEP in 1995, and that experience inspired her to obtain her master's degree in couples and family therapy from the University of Maryland in 2004. Since then, she's worked with hundreds of individuals and families through her practice, while also serving as one of PEP's most active class leaders. She's a parent of two young adults, so that strong-willed two-year-old survived the toddler years. I had the incredible good fortune about 15 years ago to take one of Emery's classes that focused on homework help and motivating your underachieving child. It was really trans transformational for me and how I supported my strong-willed daughter through ADHD and middle school. So welcome, Emery. So glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. 25 years with Pep, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's daunting, but um, it made such a difference. Uh, I would, you know, be getting in the car, driving across town to go teach another PEP one class and might be a little bit tired and like might be feeling a little bit um, uh, low energy, but getting in and teaching the class and driving home again, it'd be, it would always remind me, oh yeah, that's what's happening with my son or, oh yeah, that's probably what's going on with my daughter. So it, it was always like returning to the well and getting um, encouragement and, um, you know, great ideas that really, really, really worked. So we can, we can was, never get enough of it. Exactly. So tell me a little bit about what you're seeing currently during the pandemic from the, the families and children that you're seeing in your practice. Sure. Um, well, the, at the beginning, and this is probably going to be familiar to your listeners as well. At the beginning, what I was hearing was like a snow day. It was everybody was so giddy and so relaxed. And um, I is particularly the, the teenagers that I work with um, were catching up on their sleep and it was just transformational for them to realize again what it was like to be very well rested and uh, and they were quite happy and you know as teenagers young adults often are um, blithely unconcerned about their own physical well-being they were sure they were going to be fine but um, what I've noticed as the weeks tick by is um, what adults are also describing, that sense of just kind of low energy, low motivation, feeling disoriented, a bit disorganized, um, and it's, it's challenging. It's really difficult because none of us can see the future. We can't put the date on the calendar, the quarantine will be over now, and you can go on vacation then. 
And sure, you can start school in your new college in the fall. No, none of that is certain. And I think that is exhausting. I think it's wearing people out. Absolutely. I've heard it described as kind of like the five stages of grief that, that, you know, that we go through when there is a death, only that target keeps moving. We, we keep having to grieve some, a loss of something else, whether it was the end of the school year and those activities. And now we're talking about the end of summer camp and vacations. And then what's the school year? So it's like the target that we're grieving keeps moving. Yes. And, and that's a good point too about the grief that we feel because um, as we know, we grieve all losses. If you've lost a book that you've had since childhood and it was a very precious book to you, it's just a book and you could probably replace it, but it's not that book. We grieve every loss. And um, one of the things I've been saying to the young people and the older people I've been um, talking to in my therapy practice is everybody's pain is their pain. And um, whether it's, um, you know, distress that you really liked your hairstyle and it's growing out and you'll, who knows when you'll ever be able to go get your hair cut again, or whether or not it's you're terrified for the health of your parents. Um, it's everybody is experiencing their own um, losses and sadness and disappointments and and we just want to acknowledge that, that it's, you know, it's not the scale of how big your loss is or disappointment is, but it's real. I know some of the parents I've been interacting with, they're describing just this whole range of emotions. Some, you know, they, they've got the, the child who won't stop picking fights with the sibling or with the dog or with mom and dad. You've got some of the teenagers teenagers just hold up in their rooms and the parents can't get them to communicate about how they might be feeling. And then you have those kids who are kind of already anxiety ridden and it's just, you know, escalated that. So what do you, are you seeing that as well? And what kind of feedback do you have for, for each sure. of those? You know, it, so living during the pandemic and, and um, quarantine and social isolation, is it's extraordinary and it's hard and it's um, it's so unusual. It's so it's nothing in our lifespan or our parents' lifespan that we can refer to of what it's like. So we're all kind of knocked for a loop. Um, on the other hand, it's also life. It's also life throws unpredictable and difficult and challenging things at us all the time. And this is just one more. Um, so what we see then with the kids is that kids like older people have all different kinds of personalities. They have, you know, the things that they're quite capable of, the things that they're challenging for them. And whenever we're dealing with a stressor in life, whether it's your dog dying or, um, is sending off applications to colleges or um, uh, wondering if, you know, anybody, you know, if your friends really like you or if they're just pretending, you know, whatever your stressor mm -hmm. is, it's, um, it's going to be magnified by what we're dealing with, with the pandemic. And um, there are some things I think that are better. Um, and people are noticing and appreciating that, um, like getting enough rest of slowing down and having um, experiencing time in such a different way. 
with their their family members that it's slow time there's the time to talk or to watch a silly tv show or do a puzzle together or um try out new recipes there's the time to do stuff that we are always too busy too busy too busy for so mm -hmm. that's been a real gift mm -hmm. um and i'm hoping that it's a gift that also gives parents more opportunities to listen to, to understand, to support their kids as they're dealing with this, you know, these hard things that are happening as a result of the pandemic. And what are some of the tools and techniques or strategies for listening and, and um, communicating with their kids that, that you're seeing to be useful? Well, I think, you know, um, it's, it's not just to be a good listener, but it's probably to be a better listener than you already are. <laughs> and, and what that means is to listen in different ways, um, to ask better questions, to invite children into conversations. Um, all too often, what children hear when their parents are saying, you know, what's bothering you? What's the matter? How are you doing? Do you, is there anything you want to talk to me about? Is um, hypersensitive children, especially tweens and teens, will hear criticism. You must not think I'm okay. You must think I'm cracking up. You must think I'm being weird. You must, I bet you're complaining because I've been irritable and sad lately. Um, and that's, really hard when when young people are trying to get their own sense of themselves as capable people it's incredibly important to them to feel that their parents see them as basically good and capable people so when i say better ways to invite children and to have conversations it's it's um sharing things like um hey um you know i'm I'm just been wondering how you're doing. I like questions that express interest and express uh, kind of general curiosity. I wonder how you've been doing instead of, are you okay? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I wonder how you've been doing. I, and sharing as an adult even, you know, leveling the playing field and saying, you know, my emotions have been up and down or I've been all over the place or I'm, I'm, feeling just so draggy and unmotivated. How about you? I noticed that you're downstairs doing, going through your exercise routine every day. That's so cool. How do you do, how do you get yourself to do that? Mm -hmm. um, so expressing sort of, you know, appreciative interests and appreciative um, uh, curiosity. Every um, child loves to be asked their advice. Adults are, you know, right, adults are always giving kids advice whether they want it or not, whether it's useful or not. Adults are always, um, and, you know, rightly so, assuming that they have years more experience and knowledge and information. But imagine if you go off to work or you go off to a neighborhood meeting and you are constantly being told, oh, here, Robbie, um, you probably don't know how to do this. Let me show you how to do this. Oh, Robbie, I don't think that's the right way attitude to take. I think you should be feeling this way instead. No, Robbie, that's not the way it is. Here, let me fix that for you or <laughs> let me, you know, let me set you straight, right? Even- Doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, it feels horrible. So um, it's just the same for kids. And, um, 
and you know, and kids kind of quickly learn they have to pretend um, to be okay with all that advice, even when they are really worn down by just getting advice, advice, advice. So, so expressing appreciation and interest um, in kids is really good. I found with my uh, super sensitive son, he was quite a turtle. He was um, kind of quickly would feel like he was being sort of pressured or hassled or bugged. Um, and, um, and so I quickly learned with him, for instance, well, I wouldn't say quickly, actually, it took me a while to figure this out. But, <laughs> but when I did, I really, I, I didn't forget it because it was so useful. But I would start conversations with him saying explicitly, um, hey, um, I don't want to hassle you. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm just wondering about this. Or, um, you know, I, uh, I hope this doesn't sound like I'm uh, trying to, to pressure you, but I've been wondering why you've been do not doing this thing. Can I just check in? Can I just ask, would you mind telling me? I'd be, I'm so interested to, to know. I'd be so curious to find out more about this. And there, there are ways of asking. It's a little bit more involved, right? It takes a little bit longer to phrase a question like that. Mm -hmm. um, I remember, and you probably have heard this too, Robbie, when we've taught new parents these skills in our pep classes, when we get the disbelieving look and a parent saying, my kid would look at me like I was crazy <laughs> if I suddenly started asking them this kind of formal, mm -hmm. polite kind of way of saying. And I said, yeah, it may seem weird, but I guarantee they'll love it. They will really right. like it because who doesn't like to be spoken to with respect and with appreciation and with a real genuine, I'm not trying to get you to do something for me, um, interest, but just I'd love to understand you better. It's, that's something everybody right. every age is yearning for, longing for. Yeah, you mentioned it, it might take more time to kind of phrase that, to kind of ask the what and how questions versus the closed-ended questions. Um, but it, it may take more time in the short term, but in the long term, it actually opens up that dialogue and saves us kind of time on, on the back end a little bit. Um, yes. I also remember that tip we always talk about in classes, which we have two ears and one mouth. Mm -hmm. So when you talked about listening better, um, when I try to picture that, okay, that, me that means I should be listening twice as much as I'm talking. Of course, sometimes you have those kids that just aren't talking. So the parents would go, well, I I'm listening to dead air then. Um, anything and different with those? No, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. What, if, what about those times when you're talking to dead air? And, and so for, if you have a sensitive, defensive, a self, very self-conscious um, young person, like a tween or a teen, um, you may very well find yourself inviting your child to talk numerous times before you start to feel like you're getting through. And every invitation matters. Children note and, and appreciate when they're being spoken to in a kind way, in a polite way, in a non-pressured, non-judgmental, non-critical, non, you're, you know, you're, you're not in trouble. I'm not finding fault with you way. 
And, and if you've got a child who's just um, quickly is kind of defensive or guarded, whatever, they may need to hear friendly invitations several times, uh, off and on over, you know, several days um, before they decide, you know, maybe this is for real. Maybe you really aren't trying to catch me out or give me a lecture or tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe you are just interested and would like to understand. And um, for their own sort of defensiveness and guardedness to soften and relax and for them to give you a chance. Uh, right. so, we need, yeah. so we need to pack our patience and realize there's no quick fix necessarily. We've got to show that genuine interest over, over time. Yeah. Um, Parents are also seeing a lot of other big emotions. They're seeing sure. some anger, some frustration, some tears, some, you know, uh, kids of all ages. So, you know, our society in general is pretty good about the emotions of mad, sad, and glad. Yeah. Um, but we don't take the time to really dig much deeper than that or, or to talk about some of these more specific emotions. So I, I just heard about the book, Permission to Feel. It says, you know, there's, there's no bad emotion. Yeah. We need to feel them, feel them all. So with more time, that we have with our kids, whether we planned it or not, is this an opportunity for us to kind of help our kids learn a little bit more about their emotions beyond mad, sad, and glad, some emotion coaching, so to speak? I think so. And I think one of the, the greatest gifts that a parent can give to a child when they're feeling strong, intense emotions, which as we all know, can be a bit exhilarating, but it can also be scary. It can be, um, mm -hmm. When we're extremely sad, um, little kids especially kind of quickly think, am I going to always feel this way? Um, um, you know, and so one of the greatest gifts that a, an adult can bring to this is not to be afraid of a child's emotions. And that can be really hard, right? Because we, yes. we are programmed as moms, you know, loving parents um, to care intensely about our children's feelings and to, you know, feel passionately about wanting our children to feel okay, to feel better, to feel good. And so to, to have some patience with that, as you were saying, pack your patience, but also it's, it's often a real challenge. As adults, we have to challenge ourselves to be able to listen and hear out our kids without reacting to it, to respond with affection and warmth and caring, but without reacting to it. So, right, when kids know that if I get upset and tell mom about it, she's gonna get upset too, well, then I have to protect mom. I can't tell mom when I'm upset. If kids learn from experience, um, if I get mad and start screaming why I'm mad, my dad's gonna get even madder and tell me that I'm a brat and I'm selfish and I have no right to complain. Well, I am not gonna tell dad when I'm mad about stuff because I'm just gonna get into trouble and get a lecture, right? Mm -hmm. So so if we don't wanna teach our children to protect themselves by clamping down or, 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 you know, hiding their emotions, then it's the ability to kind of listen and really hear out. And so how to do that? Well, I think one of the easiest things for me to remember, because I'm, I'm a human being too, I get emotional, I get upset when I'm hearing my kids vent and, and um, uh, express fear or, or 
anger, etc. Um, so when I when I hear that, the one of the first things that I go to in my um, and my response is just, I hear what you're saying. I just literally use those words. Uh -huh. Okay, I hear what you're saying. You're really scared. Oh, wow. I can, I can hear in your, you know, I can hear what you're saying. You're furious. You're so angry. You're so upset about this. And, <clears throat> and, um, and it's, it's such a simple phrase, but it's one that everybody seems to appreciate. I'm being listened to. You are you are listening to me, and you're reflecting back to me that you you understand what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And so, what I would reassure parents who find this very challenging and very difficult is this does not ever make things worse. It gets better. So, right, you you help kids who are flooded with emotion um, by responding to them with words. I hear what you're saying. You're really incredibly pissed off that prom is going to get canceled. You are so furious that you got a good, finally got a good part in the play and the play mm -hmm. isn't going to happen. If, you know, I really get it. You're incredibly sad. Is that kids go from their, their emotional response to um, their prefrontal cortex to like, yeah, I am really upset about that. Yeah, it is so stinking unfair. Um, yeah, I think they're totally overreacting about this virus. What's the big deal? Whatever mm -hmm. your kids are saying. Now, as they are taking those emotions and putting them into language, they're using the whole brain. They're using their emotional center of their brain, but they're also using their prefrontal cortex to translate their emotions into to language. And as kids translate their emotions into language, they are um, creating their own sense of understanding why they're so upset or what makes them so angry about this. And those are step by step what then takes kids and adults to the feeling, the words, the understanding to what I can do about this. If, I, if there's anything I can do about this, how do I want to deal with this? And that's that's the difference be between being stuck with an emotion and dealing with the emotion and and doing what you can to get through it and deal with it well. It's, it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily signal I agree with you or you're it's not saying your emotion is in proportion to it's it's just saying I I hear you. It's yeah. validating this emotion and it's helping them kind of reengage their prefrontal cortex so that they can kind of process through it versus us just stopping it or negating it or rescuing them from it. Here, let me make it all better for you. Yes. That's not yeah. our role. Our role is to let them put the emotion out there and figure out how to move forward from it. Yes, yes. I've thought of, if I had a magic wand, you know, and I could do some, you know, family therapist magic around the whole world. There are two Please. things I want to do. <laughs> One, one magical spell I want to cast over the whole world is that everybody in the whole world understands that nobody else knows what they're thinking. You know, mm -hmm. too often everybody's, you know, or people too easily assume, oh, you should have known why I was mad. You should have known that I was happy about this. You should have known I like this. And it's like, no, no people, nobody can read your mind. So that's magic spell number one. Magic spell number two is, um, you know, acknowledging how somebody's feeling is does not mean agreeing. Right. Um, I hear what you're saying. You really hate your little sister and you think that we should never have had her You and that she's a blot on the family. I get it. You are really, really not liking your sister and want her to go away right now. I totally understand. 
that does not mean I agree. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. right. And, and what's wonderful, and I get to experience this all the time as a therapist, because, you know, um, the, the little boy and the little girl, they're not my children, so it's even easier for me as a therapist. But when I'm talking to a kid who's telling me what a you know um how their sister is ruining the family and they should never have you know joined the family etc is that i get to sit and listen to that and saying wow your sister you know is really bugging you you really don't like her and it, it you think the family would be better off is that i get to experience over and over again how kids go yeah yeah that's right that's that is that's how i feel and just in front of my eyes, I see the emotions quiet. And, and as the emotions, you know, have been, are quieting, I never, I never have to, to do a correction with a kid and say, you know, actually your sister's a human being who has a right to life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, because what I will always hear is the, is kids saying, yeah, yeah, She's, she does drive me crazy, and sometimes I really hate her, but I don't really hate her, you know. So they kind of bring the emotion back into proportion to they, what's going they on. They bring them yeah. as, as kids kind of like figure out what to do with, with the feeling, et cetera. They, they come back to themselves, and, um, and as they come back to themselves, they, you know, they reorient themselves. They, they kind, of, kind of get their sense of perspective and proportion, and... Um, and where they are in the world and how they want to be in the world. So we just talked about all this stuff that parents should kind of do to kind of bring their kids' emotions back in check. But I mean, it's hard when us parents have worries and fears about health, about the health of loved ones, maybe taking care of older parents, maybe about finances, employment, finding a job, they're having to homeschool on top of everything. Um, what do you, what can you share with parents to help you know them manage all of that and deal with their own emotions while in turn having to do this emotion coaching with with their kids? Sure, um, you know this is a conversation I've had a lot with people recently. Is that um, we we know that life is full of change and change is always stressful, and up to a certain point, <clears throat> each person experiences stress as stimulating, as something that's kind of, it might be even exciting. It's something that activates us to, to take action and to energize ourselves to do something, um, uh, to take a new class, to go introduce yourself to a new person, right? Whatever it is we wanna do, uh, that bit of stress can be stimulating. And then at a certain point though, too much stress is paralyzing. Too much stress is um, overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it's different for each person. And so what we find in, in ourselves then is kind of at what point is the stress that I'm experiencing right now, um, you know, energizing me and helping me kind of get up and do what needs to be done. And at what point is it just too friggin' much? It's just mm -hmm. too much. I can't deal with this. Mm -hmm. And we're going through an extraordinary time where it's becoming normal, but it's not normal. And so there's a fair amount of our energy that's just going into dealing with the new circumstances that we deal with right now. Mm -hmm. And so probably our for most of us, our ability to deal with a lot of stress is just not great. It's just not great. And so 
it's, you know, what we have control over is our environment. If, you know, the world's going to keep going if you take a day off and you don't read the news. Things are going to keep ticking even if, um, you know, God forbid you're checking your investments or, or your <laughs> bank account or whatever. It's, it's okay to take breaks. Things will keep going for a while without you. It's okay to cut corners, to take it easy. If, you know, what you're doing is giving yourself some breathing room, giving yourself some room to just find a way to, to be okay, do okay, feel okay. And it's different for everybody, whether or not it's taking more walks, making more phone calls to friends, bringing a little bit more fun into your life with card games and puzzles and silly YouTube videos of cats playing the piano. <laughs> what What is it? that lightens your spirit and that gives you a, a chance to to stretch to relax to laugh to to feel comforted and that's how we recharge our batteries that's how we kind of keep our up our ability to to deal with stress <clears throat> and of course you know avoiding going to the other extreme and trying to avoid all stress and particularly if it's, you know, drinking more, smoking more, spending more, those are ways that are, you know, trying to suppress or even muffle our emotions. That's not going to help either. And so it's it's finding the balance and for and it's different for each person. What helps you relax enough so that you can get up and do what needs to be done? Uh, guarding against relaxing too much and checking out, which mm -hmm. is, you know, giving into that sense of paralysis. That's not going to make help you deal with things. It's probably going to make things worse. And what's not overdoing it? What's not staying so vigilant, so hyper-focused, so working so hard that you are draining your batteries, you're wearing yourself out. So it's it's just different for each person. And that's... That's as adults, we find that for ourselves. And I think um, as parents, it's exactly what the same thing we're doing is encouraging our children to find their own way to, you know, notice how they're feeling, take care of themselves, get comfort, reassurance, support, love, laughter in a way that's going to help them keep their batteries recharged and and at the same time trust yourselves that you can you know get up and do what needs to be done because we're going to get through this we know but we have to figure out how we're going to get through this and where do you want to be on the other side of this what can you so, do now yeah. to get yourself ready to be where you want to be when this is over so what i'm hearing is really check in with yourself and figure out what kind of lightens you up makes you feel better whether it's a hot soak or exercise or a puzzle you know some sort of fun lowering expectations a little bit perhaps of yourself you know giving offering more grace and really kind of thinking beyond each day and looking ahead and saying okay what you know we're going to come out of this and how do we want to come back when should parents be concerned either about themselves or about their child Sure. Um, well, when I'm is sort of assessing for that, I, I always sort of start with biology. Are you eating okay? Um, are you eating much more than you should be eating? Are you eating much less than you should be? Are sleeping? Are you sleeping much, much more than you should be sleeping? Are you sleeping, you know, way less? 
aches and pains are there headaches and stomach aches and um uh you know are you feeling stress or anxiety in your body <clears throat> in a way that is is um painful to you so i start off with kind of biology with with both adults and kids and um and because those those are things that we can kind of figure out and, and do something about those as well. Mm -hmm. And so if you if you do feel like you yourself or your child is just just seems to be overwhelmed and um, and that you're having a hard time sort of helping your your child deal with this and, and feel okay about where they are and, and how they're doing. If you're having a hard time yourself, mm -hmm. um, figuring out how to get to a place of feeling like this is hard, but it's okay, I can deal with this. Then um, we are fortunate with this technology that psychotherapists are still able to work and, and meet with clients um, with, uh, you know, almost all therapists now are using video conferencing. And uh, it's not perfect, it's got its drawbacks, but it's pretty darn good. Video conferencing and phone calls. Um, uh, at the beginning, it's kind of like, it feels kind of funny, but it, pretty quickly you forget that you, and it's just having a good therapeutic conversation. Okay. And a last question, what's the most important thing or a couple things that you want families today to know or to hold on to? Um, I think probably one of the most important things I <clears throat> encourage families to remember and to kind of keep alive and stay connected to and with for themselves, <coughs> sorry, for themselves and their children is um, their sense of, you know, sturdiness that we've got what it takes. We can deal with this. We may not know all the answers. We can figure it out. We may not be able to do it on, you know, all on our own. We can get help. Um, we all come from people who are survivors. We're the descendants of people who have been through, you know, plagues and war and economic crashes and um, famine, et cetera, and figured out a way to survive. So we, you know, we are sturdy. We've got what it takes and we can do this. And, um, and then how to support each other so that each person in the family stays connected to their sense of being a person who can deal with this. Um, and noticing, you know, uh, what we can see with each other is to, to notice what each person is doing to, to be okay and to do okay and to um, support the family. It's like good old adage, we got this, right? <laughs> but it's, it's nice to picture, picture us coming from a lineage of people who have gone through tough times that, that we haven't you know, seen in our lifetime, but here it is. So Okay, rapid fire, um, yeah. three quick questions. <laughs> uh, what is your um, favorite parenting resource, perhaps a book? podcasts? What's been your go-to? Um, there was a book that I read that was really an epiphany for me as a young parent, and it's called Love and Anger by Nancy Samelin. And it really helped me understand kind of um, the role and purpose of my own anger, but also how it was, I expressed it in my parenting. And, you know, and it meant unlearning the um, a sort of angry parenting that I had learned in the family I was growing up in, 
but it helped me so much um, for myself, but also with a very fiery, hot-tempered daughter. And um, teaching her, as we were saying earlier, that feelings are okay, and, um, <clears throat> and how to acknowledge and respect each other's angry feelings, but at the same time not using those feelings to hurt or pressure or overpower others. Understanding anger is one of the best parenting tools, I think, and, oh. and one of Pep's most popular po most popular classes. Um, the second question is, uh, what's your favorite parenting tip? I think my all-time favorite parenting tip is that what we pay attention to is what grows. If all I do is notice when my kids are fighting and I constantly complain or criticize about them fighting, that's what I'm paying attention to. And my kids are learning from that. Yep, that's what we do. We fight, we fight a lot, we're noisy and we're mean because mom keeps telling us that's what we do. So I guess that's what we do. If instead, um, and this is uh, you know a little bit idealistic, um, but if we notice as much as possible, um, that was, you know, I, I saw that you got yourself a glass of milk and you brought one for your sister too. That's what I call helpfulness. Um, uh, I noticed that you turned around and saw your brother was about to trip and you warned him uh, not to trip over that thing. Um, you know, it's, that's the kind of kindness that it's really lovely to see in our family, isn't it? When we notice the even the erratic and unusual and rare time <laughs> kindness and gentleness and respect and appreciation. And when we genuinely, not fakey and phony, but when we genuinely notice it, describe it, appreciate it, that's what grows. So shine the light on the behavior we want to see versus what yes. we don't want to see. Yeah, and yeah. my last question, um, what's your fam favorite family tradition? Either without from when question, the kids were younger or now? Without a question, it's the family meetings. Um, you know, our, our funny little 10 minute, 15 minute Sunday night family meetings about what's coming up this week and what do people want on the grocery list? And does anybody have anything coming up in school or with friends that they want to tell us about? And oh, by the way, um, there's this thing where people are leaving their stuff on the stairs and it's tripping hazard. Can we talk about how to solve that problem? That I feel like is where we practiced and really learned and improved our, our skills of being family members who could live well together, get along mm -hmm. together, solve problems together, and that we were all partners in this family, equal partners and, and members of a team. And um, one of my favorite things is when I first learned about family meetings, um, the pep leaders talked about how you could even end with a family cheer. And so we started off, you know, all hands in the middle and saying, go Baldwins, right? And I always thought, you know, it was just little kids think that's very funny and fun. So, and it was kind of cute. But my son in particular, who's a pretty serious, no-nonsense kind of guy, he never let a family meeting end without that family cheer. And he was even like an older teenager and he'd be you know, a little sarcastic, like, okay, are we done? Are we done? Yep, go Baldwins, we're out of here. <laughs> but he never left it out because I think it meant something to him. And, uh -huh. and so it meant a lot to me too. <laughs> oh, that's great, that's great. Well, 
Thank you so much. This is great information. I know our listeners will really enjoy it. We want to encourage listeners to check out additional resources on Emory's website at emorylucebaldwin.com. That's E-M-O-R-Y-L-U-C-E-B-A-L-D-W-I-N.com. You should have named it gobaldwins.com, but <laughs> um, where you can view some of her award-winning parenting articles. Um, and of course, there are hundreds of resources on PEP's, PEP's website, pepparent.org where you can find information on PEP's upcoming live online programs, on-demand videos, which are currently available at half off, blog posts, and many other resources as um, you face the challenges of pandemic parenting on top of the ones of everyday parenting life. If you like what you're hearing on these podcasts, please share them with your friends and family. The next episode of Pandemic Parenting with PEP we welcome Denise DeRosa from Cyber Sensible, and she'll be talking about managing technology and kids while quarantining at home. Thank you, and until next time, please remember that an essential part of parenting is often having the courage to be imperfect. <laughs>